HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In The Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, I'm the uh, beverage director of a couple of restaurants downtown in New York City, Del Anima, Lartuzzi, La Picho, and Anfora Wine Bar. And I'm here today with my good friend, uh, Jeff Taylor, one of the nicest guys in the industry. <laughs> he rolls his eyes saying, like, you jerk, you're not... No, he really is one of the nicest guys in the industry and works at one of the absolute... And he's now... He's no, you can just go directly into my PayPal account. Yeah, no cash. Sure. <laughs> uh, and he is the head sommelier at one of the, the greatest restaurants, not only in New York City, not only in the country of the United States, but in the world. Um, a top five Pellegrino restaurant, four uh, New York Times stars, three Michelin stars, multiple James Beard awards. Uh, Jeff, welcome. Uh, it's... Wow. I, I, should I be here? I, that's quite a lead-in. Thank you. <laughs> um, yes, in our in our humble little uh, 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 shipping container in Bushwick, we have that's a good uh, charm. I like it. <laughs> uh, but Jeff, you've you've been at Eleven Madison uh, <clears throat> since two thousand and seven. Um, uh, during those years, it, the the restaurant's gone through many changes, uh, a lot of, of evolution. Um, I remember going in, in uh, probably the first time I went was uh, around when you started, when mm-hmm. it was uh, simply a very, very, very good restaurant. <laughs> and now it, it, it has become not, not only a great restaurant, but, but one of the, the greatest. Um, tell us a little bit about what, it, what it's been like uh, throughout those changes over the years. Sure. Um, so yes, I started in uh, fall of 2007 and uh, I had had a meal there, I guess, earlier that year, in like March or, or April of that year, and uh, they had just received three stars from Frank Bruni, and uh, I had heard a lot about Daniel Hume and, and whatnot, and I, I really wanted to go try the food, so I had this amazing lunch, and uh, it turned out that a guy named Sam Lip, who is now the general manager at Union Square Cafe, was the, uh, was the bar manager there, and he and I had taken a sommelier class together a couple of years before, and uh, basically he said, hey, we're looking for people like you. You want to come in and uh, I said well I have a summer commitment but 
in the fall, I'll look you up. And uh, sure enough, right after Labor Day, I started. And um, uh, Will Gadara, who uh, was then the general manager, um, this was owned by Danny Meyer for a number of years when we when we first started. Uh, you know, gave me this uh, interview and and said, you know, this restaurant is going to go through a lot of changes, and if you can keep up with the uh, the changes, you'll be very successful here. And uh, so that's essentially what happened. Um, the first accolade we got, uh, Bruni came in in, I guess, December of 08, and uh, in his year-end review, or year-end uh, kind of summary, said 11 Madison Park's a restaurant to watch. And so for the next nine months, we waited for Bruni to come back, come back again. <laughs> he knew he was watching. We, you know, we knew he was watching. We knew Big Bruni was watching. <laughs> we knew Bruni was watching. It was uh, Bruni Watch. Every night after service, uh, John Reagan, who was then the wine director, Myself and a bunch of the uh, you know the other captains and psalms and managers would get together and kind of you know uh, game plan for the next Bruni visit. And um, sure well, enough, now, what would you do? Would you would you like stare at pictures of him? Would you program it into your phone? How, oh, we we how, you know we all knew what he looked like. And um, uh, I mean, any any restaurateur that tells you they don't know what the New York Times you know food critic looks like is lying. Um, we all have pictures and uh, and all that. Um, but we were, uh, you know, we wanted to make sure that we didn't give him the same menu, uh, that he, that he tried different wines, um, stuff like that. So, um, uh, sure enough, in August of 2009, one of his last reviews before he, before he stepped down, uh, from the, uh, the critic post was, was for us. And, um, uh, it was a great four-star review. So, and that, that worked out really well. Uh, that worked out really well. I mean, to be honest, the, the restaurant was really going through some lean times and, um, I remember I was a captain at the time, and uh, the night, that Tuesday night, the night the review came out, there was like maybe 50 covers on the books. There was three captains. The next night, it immediately went up to like 150, and it's it's been uh, booked solid since, so it's a, it's a good thing. Now now you have to plan to get a reservation where before you could probably walk in. Uh, yeah, I mean, we can still see people at the bar mm-hmm. on a walk-in basis. Um, you know, they uh, have an a la carte menu there, and um, but yeah, it's uh, we book four days, or sorry, um... We book uh, four weeks to the day. Yeah, and the great thing about going to the bar, I've been to the bar many times, is you still have access to that that whole incredible wine list. Yeah, yeah, that's um, the wine list is fun to play with. That's for sure. Uh, it's really been a labor of love between um, uh, John Reagan, who was, as I said, then the wine director, and uh, now Dustin Wilson. So uh, it's a growing list. It's a list that changes all the time. Um, it's got some, you know, great under hundred dollar bottles of wine, and then mm-hmm. has some of the the great bottles of all time. So that's great. So uh, I, I do definitely want to hear more about some of these changes at Levin Madison. But let's back it up a little bit and talk about. Let's talk about you. Let's oh, talk about how did okay. you get into this industry? How did you make that decision that this was this was the the life for you? Sure. Um, oh gosh. Uh, let's see. So when I was in high school, uh, I had the opportunity to to live in London, England, and I uh, really got into wine and food uh, by traveling to Europe a lot. Um, uh, but I wanted to be an actor. So I ended up coming back uh, to New York. I went to NYU, went to Tisch School of the Arts, uh, got a BFA in acting, minored in philosophy, really pissed my parents off with <laughs> two, two things they didn't think I was going to make any money at. Um, and, uh, of course, when you're an actor in New York, you wait tables. Um, you're an actor. What restaurant do you work at? So I, uh, I got into restaurants. Um, actually, one of the first restaurants I started at was Gramercy Tavern in 1997 when uh, a guy named Paul Greco was just a captain there, and um, he really kind of took me under his wing and said, hey, if you ever want to make restaurants your life, you can't do anything better than a Danny Meyer restaurant. 
It's true. I think I think that uh, place like Gramercy Tavern is like Harvard MBA school without for the doubt, restaurant without industry. A doubt. And you know, you the, learn it all there. And um, with the amount of you know alumni that have come out of there, it's, it's like uh, an incubator for for it's, great it's, restaurants. Uh, it's definitely cool. So uh, I didn't stay at Gramercy long because I was an actor and ended up getting cast in a show and. Just wouldn't work out schedule wise, and uh, so I. Wait, jumped. what show? Is this like a big Broadway? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> there's, uh, there's, uh, off, off, off Broadway. I'm sure, but um, no, I, uh, I did was all it, right. Was I that Naked a, Boys dancing show? Uh, no, no, that was. <laughs> I, I, at least none that I know of. I, I don't think <laughs> I missed the cut there, um, but. Uh, I, I jobbed around a bunch of different restaurants. Um, I worked uh, for Batali for a while at a French restaurant called Bistro du Vent, and that's where I really started to learn uh, about wine. It had about a 350-bottle all-French wine list. Um, a guy named Jeremy Noy, who now actually works for Crush, uh, was the general manager at the time, and uh, he kind of he showed me the ropes, and I, I re- that's where I really started to uh, learn about um, French wine specifically and, and all the different regions and the AOPs and whatnot. And then, um, you know, come 2006 or so, I'm kind of, was married at the time. I was thinking, well, this acting thing <laughs> isn't really working out as much as I had hoped. And I'm kind of miserable at this other restaurant I'm at. And if I'm going to make restaurants in my life, I want to go to a restaurant that, that I care about. And, um, and then, as I said, I had this amazing lunch at 11 Madison Park. And um, I'm sitting there and, you know, the... The cutlery was the same cutlery I had at home and that I had registered for for the wedding. And I was like, wow, that's, this, this is a sign. And then, you know, as I said, Sam Lip was there. And then uh, I'm sitting down and Leo starts making me cocktails. And uh, one of the bartenders at the time was a guy I had worked with like a couple of years ago. Yeah, and, and Sam, what a great guy. I had a, a very strange encounter with Sam Lip. I was eating at Blue Hill at Stone Bars okay. uh, with my mom, actually. It was lunchtime. And heard this guy, like talking loudly about Del Anima, uh, which is our first restaurant, <laughs> talking very, very loudly about it, uh, all positive things, but he was a loud guy. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, God, what is that guy? is so loud, but it's kind of cool that he's talking about Del Anima, and we're over here like in a random place. Right, right. And then the next day, I was working brunch at Del Anima, and sure enough, he was there. Wow. And I went to him like, hey, man, I, it's so random, but you were at Blue Hill at Stone Barnes yesterday, weren't you? And he's like, yeah, I was. Like, well, I just wanted to introduce myself. Uh, I'm Joe, and it turns out that he was at 11 Madison yeah. Park at the time, and now he's at, uh, Union, at Square Union Square Cafe. Cafe. Yeah. And, and we, you know, we've become really friendly over the years uh, based on this totally random great. thing. Uh, great. By the way, Blue Hill at Stone Bar is for lunch. I think that's Killer. the way to yeah. go. It's yeah. just it's, um, that's, a, that's one of the uh, – for me, that's one of the great restaurants in New York. Um, I, I love that place. I really do. And uh, actually, my friend Charles Puglia is uh, doing the wine program there now, and it's uh, it's a fun place to go. That's that's, sure. that's really awesome. Okay, so now you're at you're, you're back at Eleven Madison. They hire you. What do they hire you as? At they first? hire you as a kitchen server. Um, okay. They really uh, they really <laughs> they really it's it's humbling, and um, everyone starts at that level, and it's it's actually good because I can go to you know now as head sommelier, but I can go to someone who just got hired as a kitchen server and said, Hey, I was, I was there. I was there once. Now, how does that differ from a, let's say a food runner? Is that the same thing? Yeah, we, uh, you know, we kind (laughs) of, we call it kitchen server, uh, is, is essentially a food runner. Um, and then we have assistant servers, which, so is that a busher, like a plate clearing technician? No, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they are, and that's what's on their business card. But, um, no, they're, we call them assistant servers. And then we have servers, captains and, uh, and sommeliers. 
Um, it's it's actually really cool. Now um, we have four teams every night, and there's four sommeliers on the floor, four captains, four assistant servers, and four servers. So um, I, I can't I don't know of many restaurants that have four sommeliers on the floor for essentially 105 covers maximum a night. So wow. Uh, pretty cool. So you worked your way up from kitchen server to server to captain to sommelier to head sommelier? Yeah. Did you get yeah. to go through every yeah. five I, uh, I, I jumped through all the hoops. And um, uh, as I said, I was a captain during the four-star review process. And then actually right after the review, uh, John Reagan realized that because of the influx of uh, of guests that we were going to need another sommelier. So I, was, I, I went there wanting to be a sommelier. And um, John kind of uh, dangled it like a carrot for two years, and, <laughs> and finally I, uh, I, got, I got the nod. I got called to the show, and um, uh, I, uh, I, I was a SOM uh, there since, I guess, right after the review, so 2009, and then um, my predecessor, Chris Bajetta, uh, left to go be the wine director at Quince and Catonia in San Francisco, and then uh, Will and Dustin uh, promoted me to head sommelier at uh, early 2012. That's great. I've ta- we've tasted with Chris a few times. Yeah. She's just like she's one of the a, best, an outstanding taster, without a doubt. And she's, a, I mean, fortunately in this in this uh, you know this profession, I've had some great um, mentors, and she's definitely one of them. Uh, John and Dustin. It's been it's been like a great uh, trifecta of people that have influenced me a lot in the past five six years. Yeah. Now you're working towards your. You've done the advanced sommelier degree, <laughs> and are you still oh, working? Why are you bringing this up? Um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I, I've taken the advanced uh, sommelier degree uh, or uh, advanced level uh, for the quartermaster sommeliers yep. uh, two years ago, and uh, I passed two out of the three parts. The theory I came a little short in because I forgot the Southern Hemisphere existed. Um, <laughs> you're and, kind of uh, studying the, the parts of wine you're most interested in. Is yeah, that- you work. You know, you work. You know, I, I studied and knew what what I work with, and that's you know a very European centric list and uh, California. Um, but uh, subsequently, I've, uh, I am supposed to take it uh, this August in Florida, so uh, I have been studying the Southern Hemisphere, and we'll see what happens. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's something to uh, definitely work towards. Um, you know, it's, it's hard uh, sometimes in New York to get enough free time to, to study. We put in some long hours. And so what, what is an ideal week of what, – what would you ideally like to be studying and practicing? If you had an ideal week, what would it look like? Wow, uh, and then what's a more realistic? <laughs> well, well, working around my uh, seventy to eighty hour work week, um, uh, what's good now is Eleven Madison only does lunch Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, so it allows us uh, a good amount of um, free time during during the afternoons. Uh, I'm in two tasting groups, uh, one on Wednesday, one on Saturday, um, so we blind taste wine twice a week. Um, I I try to study uh, when I can, but through Guild Som and flashcards. Um, go to industry tastings, industry lunches, uh, and whatnot, and just, you know, kind of, um, seeing what's new and out there and, um, and, uh, you know, making sure that, uh, I know what's going on and, uh, and, you know, I'm, um, it's hard, you know, you put a lot of, you put a lot of work into it and, um, hopefully it pays off. All right. And do you, for this, uh, advanced exam, are you going to just have to take the theory part or do you have to go? No, unfortunately with the advanced, you have to take all three parts again. Uh, yeah, it's only the, the, the master level where, um, you have three years to complete the three parts. Um, are you able to sit back with your friends and enjoy a glass of wine at this point? Okay. Oh yeah. You're not constantly analyzing it. No, God, no. And (laughs) I mean, I hate, I mean, you know, that's, that's what blind tasting's for. That's the, the, you know, there's, two times a week, 25 minutes where I'm being very 
analytical about wine. And then, um, you know, at the end of a shift, uh, I don't even want wine, really. I'm drinking beer, probably. So Yeah. Right, Sell me wine, too. drink beer. Why, why is that? At the end of every shift? I mean, I mean, maybe some sparkling wine. Oh, yeah. Like sparkling. the one that you brought us. Oh, and yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about this, actually. I see uh, we need to take a quick break, but I'm going to sip on some of this delicious champagne. <laughs> I shall, too. And uh, we'll be right back on In the Drink on heritageradionetwork.org. We're back on In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm here with Jeff Taylor. And uh, Jeff, you've been telling us all about your time at 11 Madison, but uh, I, I want to talk about this delicious champagne that you brought for yeah, us. Definitely. It is absolutely killer. Uh, best way to ha- to start uh, a Wednesday morning. <laughs> 9.15? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is uh, Georges Laval. Uh, it's uh, Brut Nature. It's um, a very small grower producer. Um, definitely uh, one you might not have heard of, but uh, a champagne that definitely deserves to be uh, enjoyed and drunk by many. Uh, it's uh, all premier cru fruit from uh, Cumier, which is in the Val de la Marne. Um, small grower producer, as I said, about two hectares total. Um, he's been organic since 1971. Um, everything is, uh, you know, it's it's uh, uh, vinified in uh, in barrique and uh, no dosage here, and just uh, delicious, delicious uh, champagne. I, I mean, I absolutely love this. I've never cool. had I've never had this wine before. Awesome. Uh, I absolutely adore this. How would you go about? Uh, if someone came in asking for one of the bigger name champagnes that was on the list, <laughs> and this is clearly something that you're you're very passionate about, sure. you know this guy's story yeah. back back and forth. Yeah. Um, it's a unique wine, being uh, you know barrel fermented and having no dosage. What what kind of guest would you would you serve this to? Um, you know, a guest that probably wanted uh, you know maybe something like. Krug or something like that. Um, I mean, this is this is a fraction of, of Krug's price. Um, uh, what's also cool is even though it doesn't have a vintage on it, he usually um, makes uh, single vintage uh, cuvées. I think this is actually 2008. There's a code on the back that looks like L and then 2008 and um, whatnot. Um, the good thing about Eleven Madison is we have these great list of grower producers, and you know these are champagnes that psalms love and that because they're great value i mean if you uh if you see um uh grower producers on on champagne list um there's also a, a bottling that they do called special club um which uh is basically each grower grower um uh best wine if you will and it has to be tasted blind by them and a panel of like 20 people and those are usually under 200 dollars, and they represent the best that the grower makes and to be honest, a lot of times they're they're better than any of the big houses. Um, they you know they they 
they're farmers that care about their uh, their product and they see it from you know uh, the grape into the bottle. So. Yeah, I love those special club wines. Uh, especially we always have Gaston Chiquet and, yeah. and Jim and A, and th- yeah. there are a lot of really really good really, ones and really great doubt. values. Exactly, I, I agree. Exactly. They're, they're truly truly um, incredible wines. Um, so, how does the selection process work? at 11 Madison like how, how do you and Dustin what's your relationship like uh, yeah and how, how does that happen um, you know Dustin has uh, <laughs> has been at it for a while um, he was at the Little Nell out in, uh, in Aspen and then he was at RN74 in, in San Francisco and um, he uh, he definitely has what his favorites are he's a huge Northern Rhone fan um, I think we pretty much buy everything that Kermit Lynch uh, <laughs> imports um, and then uh, I've been fortunate enough to go to uh, Australia and Greece in the past year, and um, he really let me take the reins on Australia. Oh, you went to? Did you I, go to Greece with George and Sophia? Yeah, I just went. Yeah, oh. I just came back like a week ago. Incredible, awesome. huh? Amazing, amazing. Do they know how? Like, it, how great are the Greek wines? Do they know how to run a trip. It, it was one of the best trips I've been on. It was San, do, do you go to Santorini and yes. you can like go out on the beach and like drink some Asiatico it's and like it's it's as pretty as you think it is. Even more so. I mean, it's just gorgeous. Lots of steps. Very windy. Um, but yeah, we were out with uh, Paris Segalis in his one of his vineyards, and um, you know he's pulling up the Stefani trained uh, vines of Assertigo, and you know you see this volcanic, beautiful volcanic soil of red and white and black volcanic rocks, and um, really, really uh, just a, an amazing trip. And to go from you know Athens to Santorini, up to the Peloponnese and up to the north um, to, to Mount Olympus uh, was just a, an awesome trip. And wow, I never made it up north. What was it like in the northern area of Greece? Oh, it's amazing. We um, we went out the last day we were there. We uh, we were on a, a bus and basically we pulled over to a gas station and um, uh, the uh, the winemaker um, uh, and uh, his his team. Um, there was a, a whole Mount Olympus uh, kind of uh, contingent. Uh, we had they had like four Range Rovers that they had a basically drive us uh, up the mountain um, and we went to like something like uh, 2000 uh, something well, how many meters I don't know I can't it was it was high up and it was really <laughs> really 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 high high up. Uh, yeah and um, <laughs> it was just amazing to see the different kind of topography of, of how how those vineyards were um, and you know those were more you know um, uh, traditionally uh, vine trained and whatnot um, but then to you know compare it to Santorini who you know which is very uh, volcanic and flat, and this was, you know, more limestone and clay, and um, really, really, uh, just really interesting and beautiful country, great people, um, and some amazing, amazing wines coming out of there. Um, of course, Assertico gets a lot of credit, but there's, you know, I think other white varietals, Malagasia and um, um, uh, Moscofiloro and whatnot. Yeah, really, I like really the Mal- Malagasia. Yeah. Well, Moscofiloro can be very tasty, but like just a simple, like, Chill it. Yeah, they're like summer wines, you know. It's, it's really like, it's, summer. It's, yeah. it's like uh, you know patio pounders. They're highly quaffable, and you just want to like you know have a picnic and, and kick back with a couple of bottles of those. And you're and you're really into the Australian wines now. So has this has yeah. this recent trip to Australia changed you? Are you now still a Northern Hemisphere guy with <laughs> Southern Hemisphere sympathies and um, leanings? Yeah, I uh, you know it's I I don't think you really can appreciate a country or its wines until you actually are able to visit. And um, before I went to Australia last year, I had a lot of, uh, you know, 
preconceived ideas that everything was, you know, 17% alcohol, Barossa Shiraz, and, you know, the Chardonnays had oak chips in them and whatnot. And, uh, and then I went and I went to, you know, different, different parts. And um, actually, the kind of the aha moment for me was in the Yarra Valley. And uh, there I was tasting Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Syrah, all grown, cool climate, 12.5% alcohol, some Syrahs, you know, maybe 13%. Uh, and Syrah that was labeled Syrah, that was not labeled Syrahs, and Syrah that tasted like it was from the Northern Rhone. It was Croz Hermitage, Saint-Joseph. Um, and uh, those are wines that work really well with Daniel's cuisine. So I came back and I was, you know, I was like, Dustin, man, these, these, these Shards and Pinots and this, there's this dude, Gary Mills, from this, uh, this uh, place called Jamsheed that's making these awesome Syrahs. We need to get some. And uh, to answer your question from earlier, he basically said, all right, you're the Southern Hemisphere guy. You, you put a list together of what you want to put on the list, and um, and uh, and we'll we'll see what we can buy. So uh, I you know I work with a guy named uh, Gordon Little who runs Little Peacock Imports, a small uh, Aussie um, uh, importing uh, facility. And then there's a uh, uh, Ronnie um, Sanders from Vine Street in Philadelphia brings in the jam sheet stuff. I waited for a year to get that stuff, and it's uh, it's awesome. It's really really good stuff. Uh, He's great. I was just down in uh, Philadelphia with him at oh, the yeah? Alex's Lemonade Stand. We were right. at the, the same table. He brings in a uh, a Brunello that I really like, uh, uh, Le Ranyai. Oh, R- Ricardo. Ricardo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ricardo and him were just in the restaurant last Thursday for lunch. Yeah, yeah. I, I just tasted with Ricardo through everything. Amazing wines. Really, really beautiful wines. Uh, I love the, the Brunello. The, then he does a single bottling called VV, mm-hmm. which is like amazing. Really, really good. I, and then I had... Even his Rosso, I thought, was just really, really good. Really good. Really good. Yeah. And so tell, uh, tell us what you're up to when you're not at the restaurants. Where, <laughs> where, are, you, where are you eating most? Where are you drinking? Definitely, definitely. Um, well, besides your uh, four establishments. Um, no, you and know. We appreciate that. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> Plug. Um, uh, where do I go? Uh, you know, I, I, go to the, I go to the places where I can not have to wear a suit and kick back in jeans and a T-shirt and, um, you know, Recent places that I've been to that I love, Pearl and Ash. I think Patrick's. I mean, Patrick's living the life of Riley right now. He, uh, you know, he busted his ass to to make a great list at um, Guilt, and now he gets to wear you know Misfits T-shirts every day to work. And uh, great review and a wine list that continues to grow. And I think Richard's food is is really awesome. What a fun place to eat and drink. Oh, indeed, indeed. Yeah. and killer octopus. Killer octopus. You like the octopus. I know you like the I octopus. I love that octopus. It's like the only o- – there and I think Blue Sud. Yeah. Like that's the other place where I feel like the octopus is as good as that Del Anima. That's nice that you can say that. Um, I, I love Pascaline's <laughs> list up at Rouge Tomat. Mm-hmm. Um, I like going there. I feel like I'm eating healthy for some some reason because they have a dietitian that kind of looks over all the food. Um, but, I mean, obviously she's got a great list full of natural wines and uh, deep in Loire Valley. Um, uh I think Carla, uh, you know, I just, I, Carla's just a great personality and a great, a great, um, a great person to have in the wine industry in New York. Cause she's just, so I was just at dinner with her last night at Oscar here in, uh, in Brooklyn. And, um, she's just a great personality and I love her lists at, uh, at Dory and, and Breslin. And, um, that's where I, that's where I usually hang out. So. Fine. Yeah, it's nice to see you here uh, in, this morning in a, in a t-shirt, uh, <laughs> promoting my summer of Riesling, uh, for Mr. Greco here, is that gonna? Are you guys gonna participate in that at Eleven Madison? Yeah, we do. I mean, we've we've always. I think you have to pour three Rieslings by the glass or something to to make the cut. And we've always been very Riesling focused. Um, I think we pour uh, we pour at least four right now by the glass. Yeah. So. 
pretty simple to go with, especially Daniel's food. Oh, uh, definitely. I mean, it's something we always, it's an easy go-to, uh, especially now given the tasting menu format and a lot of guests not knowing uh, what they're getting food-wise. So Riesling is just an easy kind of, uh, easy wine to select, whether, you know, whether it be dry or sweet. Uh, you know, I wanted to talk to you about this new technology that you guys are using. Um, Corvin. Corvin. Yeah. Thank you for filling, <laughs> filling that yeah, in for me. Yeah. Um, uh, I, tell, tell us a little bit about it. Uh, are, are you enjoying it? it basically, it's a, a wine preservation system that allows you to pour a glass out correct. of a bottle. It's, uh, if you've ever been to you know, uh, a wine store and seen what's the, uh, they're called enomatic machines. Usually it's like five or ten bottles and uh, you press a button and it dispenses a you know, couple of ounces of wine. Uh, this is essentially that same principle but for single bottles. It runs, um, uh, it uses argon to uh, basically uh, fill the bottle with what comes out um, so there's no uh, oxidation issues. And most importantly, you never have to take the cork out. So it's this contraption that basically fits over the neck of the bottle and you press a, a surgical needle through the cork that has a little hole in it um, and then you press a button and uh, as um, as you uh, as you have the wine dispense argon gets pumped into the bottle and uh, it really gives you a, a great opportunity to uh they call it accessing wine so you can have a little sneak peek of a, of a wine it's gonna i think it's gonna revolutionize the home collector um so you have to you know a case of 1990 bordeaux and you want to know how it's drinking you can ease instead of having to open the whole bottle you can literally just stick this needle in there and uh right through the foil and everything and uh, get a little a little taste and um it allows us to be able to pour some pretty cool stuff by the glass uh, really high-end stuff. I mean, we were pouring 95 Mouton by the glass. What? Um, Conterno, Monfortino. Uh, oh gosh, what else? Um, so d- does the wine, once you throw that needle in and you pull off the first taste, does the wine evolve at all? Or is it pretty... No, it, uh, it, it, because it's, stable, it's under cork. Yeah. We, uh, when we first were testing it, I think there's, there's another restaurant here in New York that also has it. Um, and I know there's a couple of restaurants on the West Coast in San Francisco that are using it. Um, and it's, it's supposed to come out this summer for the, for the home consumer. Um, and it's supposed to be around $300, I think. And I know everybody that we do it for that's a collector is like, I want to get that. I, I have to get that. Um, but to answer your question, uh, we first tested it with... Um, a red and a white and we went back to those wines a month two months three mm-hmm. months later and there was no no uh no difference um that's so. that's revolutionary that's it's it's amazing it's a, it's a it's a guy <laughs> out of boston that uh designs surgical equipment and yeah. was a collector and i guess was sick of opening bottles and for that you know that one last glass that you want at the end of a meal or whatever and uh and came up with the technology to do it and um you know we've been working with it now for over a year and they keep bringing us new uh new models to work with and you know, we give our feedback and, and whatnot but it's a it's definitely a cool thing and so will you still pour that i imagine you would want to pour if you're pouring 95 mouton you want to pour that table size yeah everything's done on a Giradon. i mean mm-hmm. it's a it's a pretty cool presentation um and we you know it's an emp so we make a little bit of a show of it <laughs> <laughs> and um uh yeah everything's done at the table um it's tasted by the sommelier and then it's poured into a into a carafe and then poured into the glass um uh but yeah it's fun okay. definitely fun and now i know in this most recent iteration of emp um that, that happened after the third michelin star you guys have changed your thinking around about the dining experience where you are making it a little bit more of of a show a little bit more interactive yeah i mean uh for us now 
you know, every uh, every experience there is a three and a half to four hour experience. So, um, you know, where it used to be pre theater and you have dinner and then a show. Now we've combined both, and and the dinner is the show, if you will. Um, it's uh, an all tasting menu format. Um, what's great about Eleven Madison is we still have that DNA of being a Danny Meyer restaurant. So we still have you know the enlightened hospitality and um, a great group of, of uh, staff members that really care about their guests and, and the experience they're having. We want every guest to leave on cloud nine and and um, and you know be happy and, and tell their friends that they had a great experience at Eleven Madison. Um, well, so, I've, I mean, I've never heard anyone say anything other than that. So I think you're doing yeah, a great, doing you're doing right. a great okay. job at that. Uh, but how, how does that idea of combining the dinner and the show um, translate to wine service? Yeah, so, you know, um, we, tr- we try to come up with different things that we can do uh, table side. So the Corvins one, um, although you're going to hear it here first, our newest toy is port tongs. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with those. Oh, but, um, how fun is that? You know, I've actually never seen them. So is that basically you, you take uh, for a vintage port, mm-hmm. you'll, take, uh, you'll take these tongs, you'll throw them into like a, a fire. Correct, correct. And you'll heat up the end. and, and yep. you, so that's you tell we the do end. that all at the table. What? So, uh, <laughs> yeah, one of our sommeliers, John Ross, got really passionate about it. And uh, Dustin said, hey, man, okay, go plan it all out, <laughs> demo it for Will, and see what he thinks. And uh, sure enough, he, he did it. And... Um, we do it on the Garadon. Um, have this little kind of Bunsen burner that heats up the uh, the tongs. Um, and uh, it, yes, it did start. You know, port tongs were invented, I guess, to to really only open old port because usually the corks are you can't even with an osso you can't get the cork out. Um, so this basically allows you to cut the cut the neck of the bottle off, essentially underneath the cork so the whole the whole top comes right off so we do it with uh reds you know that are 20 to 30 years old um riojas and old bordeaux old old brunellos and whatnot actually for ronnie we did it on uh, he brought in a 55 brunello and we we did it on that <laughs> um but it's cool you know it's you know we have a thing of ice there you put the tongs in it and smoke comes up and um uh, everyone we've done so far has resulted in applause from uh, the whole oh, dining right. room. Uh, what else do we do? We try to um, we have a table that if we know people are getting engaged um, at the restaurant, we we try to make that a celebratory thing where the whole restaurant can get in on it, and we'll savor a bottle of champagne uh, in the restaurant, and that's always fun. Um, well, that that is is truly awesome. We'll, we'll save the. Uh the other, uh, the other show for a, for a surprise for one. There you go. You got to you got to come in to see the rest. Come in. Well, Jeff Taylor, uh, it has been such a pleasure, my, oh, my friend, pleasure, to my have friend. you on the show. Uh, I cannot wait to come, and I, I I feel remiss that I haven't been since you since you've kind of changed things around there. But I cannot Please wait. Do. I've only heard the most incredible awesome. things, um, and then I definitely encourage uh, all of you listeners out there. Um, to go and visit Jeff at 11 Madison Park shows you that you can have one of the greatest restaurants in the world and there are truly nice, approachable, sweet people behind it um, who will take care of you in a a totally non-stuffy and really fun and welcoming kind of way. Um, But thank you all to uh, listening. This has been In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.